Welcome to the Soto Mojo Podcast. Every word was. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Soto Mojo podcast. Uh, I am not your typical host. Uh, my name is Ty Gonzalez. Typically, I'm the uh, the side, uh, you know, the the Robin to Col- uh, Colby's Batman. But uh, today, we've decided to uh, swap roles, and uh, so I'll swing it to you, Colby. How are you doing? How's uh how's the weather going in Washington? How's quarantine? Uh it's it's nice, you know, the weather uh looking outside right now probably about 70 degrees and sunny. It has nice. been for the most part for the last week, so um supposed to get into the mid 80s this weekend, so Ooh. uh yeah, it's 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 good weather. Um you know, just not much I can do about it or in it, so it's a little bit of a, a mixed blessing, so to speak. Right. And, uh, you know, it's it's gotten a bit better here in Ontario. Um, it's definitely not in those numbers. Actually, it did get to 70 the uh, the other day, uh, actually on my birthday, which was uh, Friday. And um, we got out, you know, got to do what you can during quarantine. And that's basically just walk um, right through through the ball around at least a little bit. That was nice. Um but yeah, so today we are going to be talking about pretty much what we talk about every week, and that's uh, Major League Baseball's latest plan to uh, reboot the season. Uh, this time, uh, Jeff Passan has reported that uh, Major League Baseball is close to finalizing a plan uh, to restart the season around um, uh, the beginning of June to restart spring training and then have regular season games around the start of July. Um, and they're going to be proposing that to the players union. Um, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But um, uh, the plan would consist of uh, teams playing at their own ballpark, um, which we've talked about before. There was a plan that came through, uh, that would basically keep um, all teams within a uh, pretty similar region with one another. The Mariners would play all the teams on the West. Uh, there would be two other divisions that kind of fit in that uh, lane. Um, so this is the plan, it it seems at least. Uh, it doesn't seem like anything's changed on that front. Uh, but, the, uh, but Major League Baseball has told its players to start getting ready uh, physically. Um, now that can mean a number of things, you know, that, that just means, you know, don't be on the couch, uh, you know, doing horrible things to your body during quarantine, you know, because this thing could, that doesn't mean that this thing is set to start right away. Um, you know, as optimistic as they are, uh, but, um, you know, they are telling their players to start thinking about the start of the season and getting back into baseball mode. So uh, what do you think about this, uh, this new development? And, 
you know, how do you feel about the likelihood of having opening day, um, let's say July 4th, Independence Day? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's pretty interesting when you uh, when you read through all of this stuff. Uh, the plan that uh, Passon is talking about did not specify whether or not they would be sticking with the uh, the three league, basically the Western League, the Central League, and the East League. Um, they didn't mention whether or not they would be sticking with that. I would assume that they would be. That would be my guess. Um, but yeah, you know, like I said, we talked about a lot of this last time with teams playing in their home ballparks and trying to limit travel and all that stuff. That all seems to be fine. Um, you know, now it goes to the players. Are the players going to be willing to accept this? Well, Passon also reported that owners are going to ask them to take a pay cut. Um, and I mean, I don't know if I'm a player and I'm going to be playing in uh, hazardous conditions, uh, being asked to take a pay cut just uh, seems like a little too much if I'm a player, but Ultimately, I, I think the players will probably accept this because I think there's enough of them that need their paycheck right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the league works on minimum, uh, which is a lot for you and me, but, you know, it's not all that much for a professional athlete who has uh, more expenses than you and I do. Um, right. So I, I'm going to guess that the players will go ahead and, and accept this deal. Now, whether or not July 4th is realistic. I don't know because again, we don't, we don't have details about testing and um, you know, how they're going to handle quarantine or what's going to happen if, and when the, you know, a player catches it. Um, is they, are they just going to end the season kind of like the NBA did? Um, or are they actually going to, uh, you know, just try and isolate that incident or what, what are they going to do? So there's a lot of questions we don't know about. Uh, there's still a lot of, um, things that the players union are going to have to work out with the owners, including, you know, pay, uh, salary, uh, you know, the length of the season that hasn't been specified yet. How long the playoffs go, how many teams make the playoffs. There's just so many unknowns that I think the players union and major league baseball are going to have to hammer out. So uh, in terms of like percentages, uh, July four start, I would put the odds at about 25%. Mm-hmm. Um might be a bit high, but I'll go there. That's that's me being optimistic. Um, I think more than likely what you're looking at is sometime late July um, or maybe even the first week of August. But, you know, it, it is worth noting here in, in Washington, which is where I assume uh, most of the people who listen to this podcast live, uh, with the exception of uh, Dan Clark, of course. Uh, hey, Dan, how you doing? Uh, but uh, when you when you follow the the phases that Governor Inslee has set out in in his attempt to reopen the state, um, July Fourth of July weekend looks to fall right as about the time we would start phase three, which would be more than fifty people or fifty people in, in a gathering. Um, so obviously there's going to be more than fifty people, you know, at the baseball game, um, playing the game. Uh, so they'll have to get some kind of exemption from governor Inslee to play games in Seattle, probably the mayor as well. So, you know, that's going to be true of the other 29 locations in major league baseball. So there's still a lot of, a lot of things up in the air, but it does seem like we're moving towards at least a resolution of some kind, or at least putting dates as goals, uh, which, you know, major league baseball hasn't done since they initially 
shut down the season and said, well, hopefully we'll be back by April 9th. And, uh, <laughs> well, uh, that didn't work out. So, uh, overall I'd say I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but there's still so many questions. It's hard to, to feel great about, uh, July 4 as a start. Yeah. And you know, the, the other thing is that, you know, the optimism goes further than that and wanting to put, you know, players on the field by June 10th for what people are calling spring training two. Um, so yeah, spring training two electric boogaloo. Uh, so, um, I just I I can't see that happening just with the way that things are going. You know, I haven't been keeping up with how the COVID nineteen situation is going right now in Arizona. Do you know a bit more about that than uh, than I do? Uh, I I don't know Arizona. I've been so focused on the state of Washington. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell you that states like Texas, Georgia, and Florida, who recently reopened, they're already starting to see surges in cases. So. Right. I mean, those, you know, Texas happens to host two major league teams. So does uh, Florida and uh, Georgia, of course, has the Braves. So, I mean, I just, you know, it goes back to what we've been talking about the entire time is how are you going to get testing for all the players without disrupting the ability of the general public to get testing? So mm-hmm. I mean, that, that still to me remains the biggest hurdle of this entire thing. So. Yeah, that's going to be the huge, huge hurdle to overcome here. And I just don't think that Major League Baseball has the um, pieces in place just yet. I think it's just, um, you know, it's really just out of their hands. Ultimately, Um, it's going to come down to, um, you know, how much testing is brought into the country that is made available uh, to Major League Baseball that doesn't take away from those that need it, as you said. And um, also, you know, what are these numbers looking like um, per state that these um, uh, teams inhabit? Um, but I do like the idea of keeping all the teams at their home stadiums. That gives, you know, that eliminates one of the biggest problems that um, – we saw with the players agreeing to this, you know, them not being around their families. Now they'll have a chance to assuming that they do live in the state that they, uh, that they play in. And a lot of players don't. So that still causes a problem with that. But I mean, that's probably what they were going to do anyway, if everything was regular in the world as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we'll see if, players and their families will will relocate to a temporary home and you know in their um team states or or what have you but i i do believe that uh this is probably the most friendly it's going to get for the players at this point i think a pay cut was inevitable but as you said i think some players most players will take what they can get at this point um and, uh, you know, the rest is just going to be up to, you know, how the coronavirus situation just continues to progress. Um, so we'll see. Um, were yeah, you going to say something? Uh, yeah, no, I just I think, you know, um, it's important to uh, to point out here that 
Uh, first to actually break this story with these kind of timelines is actually Trevor Plouffe, uh, right. former yep. Minnesota twin third baseman. It was later uh, corroborated by uh, Phil Hughes, former New York Yankees and Minnesota twin pitcher. Um, and it didn't take long after Plouffe said that, you know, this was kind of what Major League Baseball was looking to do, that it was immediately shot down by, uh, you know, pretty much the mainstream baseball media of Keith Law and uh, Ken Rosenthal, um, John Heyman, things like that, people like that. So uh, Bob Nightingale, um, they pretty much, you know, said that that was, I mean, they didn't call it a lie, but more or less they were insinuating that that was ridiculous and not even in discussion. And well, not two what, two days later, Jeff Passan publishes a report to ESPN and, Mm-hmm. What do you know? I mean, so yeah. uh, you have Trevor Plouffe and uh, Phil Hughes. Um, they get they should they deserve credit for uh, right. Phil, yeah, uh, Trevor Plouffe deserves credit for breaking the story because it does sound honestly, based on the on the uh, passing report, that he got the dates spot on. Yeah. Um, with a June 10 report and hopefully by start uh, July 1st for opening day. Yeah. So. Uh, he deserves credit for that. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, just, just remember sometimes players know things and, uh, especially ones who still have contact within the game. Um, Mm -hmm. so you never know, you never know who's going to break a story. Um, but you know, it's, it just, it's interesting to me that they got dismissed so quickly. And then two days later, Oh, they were right. Oh, well, (laughs) like, Like, no, I think you probably guys probably owe them an apology, but uh, whatever. It is what it is. So good job, Trevor Plouffe and uh, Phil, Phil Hughes. Uh, by the way, can you name the two teams that uh, Trevor Plouffe played for? Uh, Twins and A's? Yes. Yeah. I, You know what? It might be three, honestly, but I, I distinctly remember him playing for those two teams. So, Yeah, I feel like maybe he played for the Tigers or something at some point. Did he? Let's look it up. Yeah, let's look it up. Might I'm as well. Sure, why not? <laughs> why not? That's uh, great quick podcasting. Little, yeah, quick little search. Oh, you played for the Phillies and the Rays. You played for the... Okay, I think I vaguely remember the Rays. Um, he had 12 ABs for the Phillies. Um, let's How see. many for the Rays? Let's see. I'm going to find out because that was just all I could get off of Google. Um, cool. Let's look at fan graphs. I assume he did not play for the Rays. He just signed with them or something. Yeah. It was probably a minor league deal. Um, yeah. And then he had 12 plate appearances with the Phillies and a home run. Oh, nice. And that's how he ended so, his career. So nice. Nice. Um, so yeah, good, good job, Trevor Plouffe. Uh, good luck in your next career. Um, I believe he has a, a podcast with, uh, John Boy? John Boy, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I have not checked that out yet, but I I might want to because I do enjoy John Boy's videos, and uh, you know, Ploof has uh, thus far proven to be a pretty good source of information. So maybe I'll have to check that out for sure. So we are going to get some baseball activity uh, within the next month, however, or in a month um, with the MLB draft, um, mm-hmm. which is. Rumored to be five rounds only, which um, is not great. Uh, we'll see. You know, there there is still the outside chance that it could be ten rounds, which I would much prefer. 
but assuming that it's five, uh, before we go into, because we have a question uh, that basically ties into the whole strategy of the Mariners draft, uh, let's talk about how the Mariners could benefit from a heavy uh, undrafted free agency class. Yeah. Um, you know, part of the issue with the free agency class here is, is that uh, there's a cap to how much you can uh, give as a bonus. And right now it's at $20,000, which is ridiculous because, you know, a six round pick is supposed to make like $300,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that issue is, is that if you're not selected in the first five rounds, you're probably going back to school. And with the NCAA granting an extra year of eligibility to all spring athletes, there's not really a reason, you know, even, you know, unless you're a, a senior, uh, there's really no reason to, to sign. You just go back to school and same goes for the prep guys. Um, especially the prep guys. If you have a, if you're a, you know, top 500 ish prospect and you're a, you know, a prep, a, a prep pitcher or whatever, why would you sign for 20,000 when you can literally re-enter the draft next year? If you go to a junior college and get, five, six, seven, 10, 12 times that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how many players just want to make the jump to pro ball and how many stick around. Um, that being said, uh, the Mariners are, um, this is a few years ago. This would, I would, before Jerry DePoto, I would probably project that there would be five guys who signed with the Mariners now there, there's a possibility it's 10 to 15 just because the Mariners have proven uh, to be a pretty good player uh, player development uh, team. So uh, it, it, there is a possibility to get to the majors now with the Mariners uh, acting as your, you know, your minor league team, basically. Um, whereas in the past, that wasn't the case. So Seattle, particularly to pitchers, I think, would will be a very interesting uh, destination because a lot of pitchers, uh, or a lot of you know people around the game are starting to view the Mariners as one of the best uh, pitching development programs in the league. So mm-hmm. I think that's a possibility. But the cap at twenty thousand dollars is just going to make so many guys decide to go back to college, um, and that's that's my biggest problem with the five round thing. It's not it's not so much limiting the five rounds; it's limiting the the bonus pool that you can only get twenty thousand dollars signing bonus nobody's going to sign for that. Nobody who has, you know, any real prospects, uh, uh, you know, being a big leaguer, nobody's going to sign for that right now. Uh, Mm. So you're just sending a bunch of really talented kids back to school, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but it's also pretty unfair. And they were even talking about capping the number of, you know, max dollar free agents that you could spend. So you could only get five players at $20,000 and the rest of your undrafted free agents would have to be less than that. That's terrible. I mean, we're talking about the owners collectively saving a million bucks by not having rounds six through ten. Mm-hmm. A million million dollars each, I should say. Really, you're gonna you're gonna pinch that penny. Okay, it's it's just unfair to the players, and um, ultimately, it's gonna hurt this draft. Um, it may load up next year's draft, but it sounds like the shortened draft is gonna become a permanent thing. So, who knows? But uh, if you're a if you're college if you're a college pitcher who's desperate to to turn pro and you're looking for a team to do it with the mariners are a pretty good bet so i think that's where they could uh they could have have some separation between other teams do you think that some players while the 
um, bonus is much lower than what they would, you know, get next year. Uh, as you said, do you think that some players will make the decision to turn pro and forego all that money just to have the opportunity to choose where they play? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a handful will. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be as many as major league baseball is predicting. Because, again, if you're, if you were projected to go between rounds six through 10, you're going back to school because the very last slot in the 10th round is still over a hundred thousand dollar signing bonus. Mm-hmm. This is five times less than that. So, you know, is it possible that some guys, they just don't want to be in school anymore or they want to start their pro career? Yeah. But you got to remember, it's not like they're actually going to be playing games this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like they're getting a leg up on anything either. So is, is are guys going to do it? Yeah. there will probably be a handful. Um, if, you know, particularly if, uh, you know, their family has some money, uh, going around, but if you're, you know, if you're just an average kid and you have a full scholarship to go to Vanderbilt or whatever, and you were going to be a seventh round pick mm-hmm. makes more sense to go to Vanderbilt. So, um, yeah. it's just, it's, it's a really sucky thing that they did. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, and it puts, puts a lot of, uh, puts a lot of thoughts into the minds of the players because, you know, not just being able to uh, choose where to go, is an incentive it's also the fact that you're going to be in a loaded draft class next year yep assuming that you know the ncaa is back to playing games at a at a regular pace next next season and mm-hmm. um you know so you run the risk of lowering your draft stock by having a poor year you know especially coming off of a uh, off of a shortened season and basically not playing ball for nearly an entire uh, year Um, and you have the issue of again entering a loaded draft class that's going to be basically the majority of the 2020 draft class mixed in with an entire other draft class Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see the effect that this has on the decisions made by players, not just in 2020 or 2021, but future years as well, you know, because that, that over flooding of talent is going to continue to trickle down, I would assume for sure. a few years here. Um, but it makes for some fun speculation. Yeah. Uh, and sure it also and it also makes for a really interesting few drafts to watch over the next few years. Um, we're going to see some of the deeper classes in Major League Baseball history. Honestly, I think when you see, you know, and what I mean by a trickle down effect is like maybe the 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 sophomore or the junior that um, was thinking about coming out, you know, in twenty twenty one sees the overcrowded class and decides to stick another year, you know, because instead while they may be a mid uh, round talent or a mid, you know, mid top 10 round talent, you know, they might be 15th, you know, 16th round just because of the amount of talent. Um, So it's, it's, there's going to be a lot to come out of that. 
Um, and you know, they could avoid some of this if they just made the, the, the damn thing 10 rounds this year. Yep. But you know, Lord knows we gotta, we gotta save that million bucks. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk more about the Mariners here. Uh, we have a question, uh, from, from one of our regulars, Chris at zip kid CW on Twitter. Um, and he asks basically a four part question about the Mariners strategy going into this draft. Now, Colby, you, you are, uh, more in tune with the draft than, than I am at this point. Um, so I'll defer most of this to you. Uh, but Chris wants to know, uh, first off under slot versus slot. And I assume that means, you know, signing the player to an under slot at six at the six pick. Right. Yeah, uh, so if you guys aren't uh, familiar with this, uh, Major League Baseball has a semi-complicated system where uh, every draft pick has a recommended bonus slot, uh, which is the amount that Major League Baseball recommends you pay the player. Uh, Teams can go over and teams can go under that number. So, for example, the Mariners have the sixth pick. I believe that slot bonus is about $5.8 million. Um, That is added to the recommended slot bonus of every team's pick in the first 10 rounds of the Major League Draft, and that gives you your slot bonus pool. Now, teams can go spend more than the slot bonus pool that they're allotted, but if they go over 5%, uh, they start to lose future draft picks, um, and the money becomes the money that they spend over gets pretty heavily taxed. So there's very there's very much an incentive not to go more than five percent over your bonus pool uh, total. So what some teams will do is is that they will use their first pick, and they will take a player. For example, the Mariners five point eight million dollar pick at number six. They will take a player who is probably going to go somewhere in the twenties where they would make $4.7 million. They will take them at six with the understanding that that player will sign for $5 million instead of 5.8. That way the player that they take gets $300,000 more than he normally would have. And the Mariners save $800,000 that they can then spend on future draft on, you know, rounds two through five. So and basically, uh, that's safe for the prep guy that falls and may have a commitment right. to, uh, you know, an excellent university and so on and so right. forth. And that extra money can help you convince them to go pro. Right. Or you can spread it around to a few different guys. Uh, you can do whatever right. you want with the savings. But, yeah, typically it's for the prep guy that you're trying to convince to play major or to play professional baseball instead of college. And you want that money to uh, to try and convince them. Uh, you know, a pretty famous example of this is the Houston Astros. Uh, the year that they had the number one overall pick, uh, and they took Carlos Correa, who was probably number six or seven in that draft, got him for about, I don't know, $500,000 or so less than slot, and they used that money to go and spend a late first-round pick, a compensatory pick, on Lance McCullers and overpay him to prevent him from going to school. So instead of getting... Byron Buxton, who was kind of the consensus number one, they turned that into Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers. So that's the idea behind Mm -hmm. it, uh, if you guys aren't uh, too familiar with it. Um, And Chris wants to know, should the Mariners go over slot or just, you know, slot? Um, And it's a good question, and I know a lot of Mariner fans are very much intrigued by the under slot idea. For me, 
the answer is you should just draft the best player uh, that's there for you at six and give him full slot money. Uh, This is a pretty deep draft class. It's not amazingly deep, but it is one of the better draft classes uh, over the past five years. Uh, So I just don't see much value in trying to get, you know, a player who, I mean, the idea is to try and get a good prep player at 43. I don't see that guy being there at 43. Uh, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. So um, unless we're talking about a Pete Crow Armstrong or a Robert Hassel, uh, there's just, I don't see that prep guy that's worth overpaying for at 43 while taking a significantly less prospect at number six. Most people in this draft, they have a big five uh, prospects uh, that, you know, they pretty consensus, the five best players in this draft class. They are Emerson Hancock, Asa Lacey, Spencer Torkelson, Nick, uh, Nick Gonzalez and uh, Austin Martin. Those are the consensus top five. They're more than likely going to go one through five in some order. I actually have a uh, top six. I throw Max Meyer, the right-handed pitcher out of Minnesota out there. He's my number four prospect on our Soto big board. So um, I would actually draft him over uh, certainly over Nick Gonzalez, but I have a big six, which to me means that one of those players is going to be there for the Mariners to draft. And mm-hmm. the difference between that guy that they can take at six and say somebody ranked 15 and somebody ranked 28 or whatever, it's significant. I, I think the top six, you have a really good shot to get a, uh, you know, a multiple time all-star. There's a few guys there who have Cy Young upside. There's a couple guys who have silver slugger and MVP consideration upside, uh, you know, in that top six. So, uh, and they all have relatively high floors. They're going to be big leaguers and pretty successful ones. So uh, for me, in this case, I totally understand why the underslot thing makes sense. And a lot of years it would. Uh, this year, I don't think it does. That doesn't mean that Jerry DePoto won't do it. He certainly could. But it is worth noting Jerry DePoto has never gone under slot in round one as Mariners general manager. He has mm-hmm. gone over slot in round two uh, to get Sam Carlson. Uh, they drafted Evan White and they gave him slot in the in round one, and then they went over slot by eight hundred thousand dollars or so to get Sam Carlson in the second round, uh, mm-hmm. and you know they had to cut corners throughout the rest of the top ten rounds to do that. So it's like I said, I the Mariners could do it and it could work and I couldn't could end up liking it, but if I'm Jerry Depoto, it's just not a consideration for me. I'm taking whichever one of those first six guys falls to me at number six. Well, and it also should be mentioned that the, you know, the Mariners have that extra pick mm-hmm. that they got, or they have two extra picks. Right? No, just one. Oh yeah. Just one. Sorry. Uh, yeah. The, the one extra Narvaez. pick from, uh, from the Narvaez deal. Yeah. I got the yep. Encarnacion thing mixed up and then I remember last that year. Was Isaiah Campbell last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they have, assuming that the draft is five rounds, they have six picks. Yep. They're going to have extra slot money because of that extra pick. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I, I don't really see an under, under slot situation here. I don't see a scenario here for the Mariners where they absolutely uh, need to do this. Unless, you know, one of these top six players that we have, they just, they aren't high on as we are. Sure. Um, which is possible, Holy, you know. Oh, yeah. It, um, so we'll see. Um, but I think, I think it's pretty safe to 
assume that the Mariners are going to come away with one of those six players. Um, right. I, so I, I w- but- just real fast, uh, you know, you mentioned the Mariners had the extra pick. Uh, the Mariners have the eighth highest uh, bonus pool money uh, that they can mm. spend. So they have more money than, you know, 22 other teams. Um, and you mentioned the extra bonus, the extra pick that is worth a, uh, $1.05 million slot bonus. So in theory, what the Mariners can do is that they could draft a reliever or a senior with one of their, let's say their third round pick or whatever, give him $50,000. And then they could put that million dollars into the number 43 pick and give, you know, player X $2.73 million instead of 1.7. And that's how you could make up uh, if you want that Robert Hassel type of guy or Pete Crow Armstrong, and he's willing to sign for $2.5 million, that's how you can make it up instead of trying to save $800,000 off the first pick. So it's a re- really good point to bring up that that bonus pick because there is still a way that they can go over slot in round two without sacrificing in round one. Right. And I was just thinking about this. Do you think that some teams or that some seniors are going to fall in this draft because simply put, they have no other option. Right. I mean, they're, they're stuck. They can go back to school and play next year, but there's still going to be seniors when they enter the draft, which means they have nowhere else to go. Um, It's seniors. Some of those guys are going to be getting drafted at like 24 years old, you know? Right. And I mean, those guys, they're probably only going to get $30,000 uh, signing bonus, even if they're drafted in the fourth round, because they have no leverage. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're a, if you're a college senior, and the difference is, you know, sticking around one more year and making forty thousand dollars versus twenty thousand dollars, you might make that jump this year uh, just to kind of get a head start. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's never good to be a uh, a college senior in the draft. Those guys get pretty well royally screwed and it's because they've run out of leverage. Um, which, you know, also is why so many juniors when drafted, they sign because they don't want to be in that situation mm-hmm. the following year. So, um, yeah, good points. <clears throat> so to go back to pick number six, um, mm-hmm. like I said, I think it's pretty safe to assume that one of the consensus top six players in the draft are going to be a Seattle Mariner by the end of the day. Uh, So I think that answers Chris's second part to the question, which is Jerry is going college, right? You don't think that Zach Veen is crap uh, creeping into their mind? Not unless it's under slot. Um, Zach Veen's a good player. Like he's a good prospect. A lot of Mm -hmm. people are absolutely enamored with him. Uh, he's got power. He's got, you know, a good arm. He hits pretty well. Not going to be a center fielder long-term, but probably going to be an above average right fielder or corner outfielder. Uh, he's a really interesting player. I do have him as the best uh, prep player in this class. So is it possible? Yeah. Is it likely? I, I would put the odds at less than 5%, honestly. So right. um, I would say that it's going to be one of the six college guys that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I will say that Max Meyer is not consensus top six, although I think he should be. Um, but he is, right. you know, top 10 most places. I think he's number 13 on fan graphs, and I don't know what right. they're smoking, but 
for me, there is a consent there. For me, there is a top six and it's, it's a pretty significant gap between six and seven. So, so the third part to Chris's question is um, what are the odds that it'll be anyone other than uh, Nick Gonzalez, Garrett Mitchell, Max Meyer, or uh, Reed Detmers at six? Uh, And who do you think is most likely if that's the case? Uh, who's most likely if it's one of those four or who's most likely if it isn't who's most four. likely if it isn't one of those four because I, I I assume that he's basing it off of these four guys one of these four guys is going to be a Mariner after the draft right, uh, right. so so if if for whatever reason there one of them isn't who who's is that? the most likely player out of those assuming that like guys like Hancock Torkelson etc go where they're supposed right. to go right um, so yeah, it's, I would say that the odds that it's one of those four guys are pretty good. Uh, namely either Nick Gonzalez or Max Meyer, uh, Garrett Mitchell to me, a little bit overrated in this class. Uh, MLB pipeline has him at six. He's not a bad prospect by any stretch whatsoever. Uh, he's fast. He can play center field. He hits line drives, not a lot of power though. And he's kind of running out of time to find it despite pretty impressive size at six, three, two Oh five. Um, just not a lot of pop in that bat, not a swing that's really conducive to creating that much power. So I, I don't know, like I, I don't have Mitchell ahead of Veen, so I would actually throw Zach Veen as more likely than Garrett Mitchell. But, uh, I would say it's, it's fairly likely that it's going to be one of those four. Um, if it's not one of those four, um, you know, I would say probably Zach Veen since he's not on that list. I think a guy like Mick Abel is a possibility. Um, mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, some of you guys may know he's, he pitches for uh Jesuit, uh, Jesuit high school in Portland. Uh, he, I have him as the best, uh, prep arm in this draft class. So he's a possibility at six. Uh, Garrett crochet is the guy that I'm higher on than most. Uh, he is a possibility, especially since he's probably going to be an under slot guy, um, at, at least a pick six. So, um, if I just, if it's not one of those four guys, I would guess it's probably crochet would be my initial guess. Uh, one other thing worth noting though, is that there is a, uh, a rumor or at least a, a whisper that has been heard by uh, prospect insider, Jason Churchill, who did mention both Garrett crochet and possibly Georgia right-hander Cole Wilcox as the pick at number six in an attempt to, to save a lot of money uh, to double dip in first round talent. Uh, in the second round, but overall I would put the odds that it's one of the Gonzalez, Mitchell, Detmers, or Myers. I would put those odds at about 75%. I I think it's pretty Mm -hmm. likely that one of those four guys is the pick. Um, Even more so if you substitute Mitchell for Veen, then I would probably put it at 85, 86%. So. Right. And um, so who do you think is like worst case scenario at six? Who's someone that they pick at number six and you're like, you walk away from that a little bit disappointed. Um, yeah, you know, basically how could, how could the Mariners Mariner this? <laughs> let's call it, let's say how, can which I don't think. This? Yeah. I don't, I don't think it would be very fair to say that about Jerry DePoto and this uh, front office in particular, right. but you know, the, the, the average listener out there is probably wondering sure, how sure. the Mariners could do. Yeah. The sure. Mariners. I, yeah. 
I, I, I think it's important to remember, though, is that you can't grade a draft class after one pick. Um, it doesn't make sense. So, uh, you know, the Mariners, yes, could disappoint in round one and take a slightly worse player. But if they come back and read in round two and they're somehow able to convince like a Mick Abel or Jared Kelly or Robert Hassel or Pete Crow Armstrong, one of those guys to sign with them in round two, then it's fine. Um, but, you know, to answer your question directly, the guy for me that a lot of Mariner fans seem to want that I would be, I don't want to say disappointed in because he's not a bad player, but to answer your question directly, it's Reed Detmers. He's a left-handed pitcher from Louisville. Um, mm. A lot of fans like him. I understand why. He's got a very high floor. He's going to be a number four starter in this league. Uh, the issue is, is that his ceiling is probably a mid-level number three. And the Mariners have a lot of those guys. I mean, we're talking about George Kirby, Justin Dunn, Justice Sheffield, Marco Gonzalez, Yusei Kikuchi. They have number threes. Um, you know, that's not even counting guys like Isaiah Campbell and Brandon Williamson. They have those guys. What they don't have is an ace, a guy who can turn into Max Scherzer or, you know, Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole. They don't have that guy. The closest they have is Logan Gilbert, who, while I like him a ton, probably a number two when all is said and done. So to me, Detmers at six is it's it's so safe. Sorry, it's so safe it's not even worth it. Um, so I would be pretty disappointed if Detmers was the pick, especially if they took him over a guy like Max Meyer. Right. So last part to question, uh, Chris's question. Um, now talking about the following picks, um, specifically mm-hmm. their second and third picks. Um, who do you think is a possibility to fall to them that they might be interested in? Or are there just any names in general that stand out around that area? Uh, sure. Um, you know, in terms of guys who might fall to them, I can't really answer that question um, too well. I know kind of like best case scenario in my mind would be JT Ginn, who was a mm-hmm. top 15 pick coming into the year. Unfortunately, he had just recently had Tommy John surgery. That's knocked him down into the late first, early second. I just I don't see a way that he falls all the way to two or to uh, to the Mariners' second pick, I should say. Um, and plus, he's a he's a draft eligible sophomore, so he can easily go back to school, um, potentially make more money. But if he's there, that's the guy I'm jumping all over, especially if he's willing to sign for slot, which I don't think he would be. But he's the guy that I would we talked about earlier basically punting your comp pick and giving a million dollars over slot to your second round pick. That's the guy I would do it for. A couple of other guys, particularly in the second round, interesting name here from Texas tech, Clayton beater, uh, B E B E E T E R. Just like it sounds Um, from, like I said, Texas tech six, two, two, 20, three above average to plus pitches. And uh, you know, we're talking 93 to 97 with a running fastball, good curveball, mm-hmm. good slider, and a workable changeup that's getting better, average control. Um, knock on him. Probably the two elbow surgeries. I mean, that's that's obviously a red flag. Um, right, yeah. But absolutely first-round talent. 
first round stuff. If he hadn't had the surgeries, there would be no way he was there in the second round. He uh, has a very easy delivery. It's easy velocity for him. He throws straight downhill. It creates a nice downward plane. Um, every pitch is thrown from the same arm angle. There's no tipping of pitches. He's a really good uh, pitcher who I could see develop into a, a number two type of starter who you can get in the second round. Um, so I would watch him in the second. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, JT Ginn is really interesting. If he falls, Cole Henry, who's a right-handed pitcher from Louisiana State, plus fastball, curveball combination. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, a few guys who probably going to go a little later, um, with, I would imagine still within the first four rounds or so. Um, I like a guy, uh, Tyler Gentry, who's an outfielder from Alabama. Reminds me a bit of uh, Mitch Haniger. Average or better tools across the board. Good athlete, can handle center field, probably better off in right field. Uh, you know, good raw power, starting to work it into games a bit more. Really aggressive with the approach, uh, swings early and often. So not exactly the control the zone type, but just a good athlete overall. Uh, is, he, uh, is he related to uh, Craig Gentry? I do not know. Um, but uh, it's I can't say it's not. I mean, it's a possibility. And uh, mm-hmm. honestly, the profiles of those two guys coming out, they're they're pretty similar. But uh, I think I think Gentry has a uh, Mitch Haniger like uh, streak to him. Um, and then one guy who's really starting to rise up my my personal board here. Um, not going to be in the top. 50, I would say, but might be in that next group here. The name is Anthony Servideo, and he's okay. a shortstop for Mississippi, Ole Miss. He's five foot ten, 175. Uh, average hit tool, power, which was below average until this year when he popped five home runs in the shortened college season, where over his previous 100 games, he had hit only four. So there's some power there that's starting to emerge. Above average plus runner, above average arm, above average defender. Played in the outfield as a sophomore. Played shortstop this year for Ole Miss. Really good shortstop. Hits lefty, throws righty. Reminds me a lot of J.P. Crawford. Um, he even looks like him. He's you know he's kind of thin and tall. Uh, they both wear number three. Uh, they both hit left-handed. Uh, you know defense is going to be their value, and they're also good base runners. They also both take a lot of walks. There's a lot to like with Anthony Servideo. And if you're looking to hedge J.P. Crawford in a couple years or you want that utility guy who can play center field, second base, shortstop, even third base on a regular basis and kind of be your Marwin Gonzalez type, Anthony Servideo is a guy that I really like. Um, And I'm really starting to move up uh, my boards here. So those are just a few of the guys. You know, Tyler Gentry, Anthony Servideo, J.T. Ginn would be awesome. Um and uh, Clayton Beater. Those are some guys that I really like who could be available in the second round. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also could not be, but those are the kind of guys I like in the second or third. Um, I think best case scenario for the Mariners would be somebody like Pete Crow Armstrong or Robert Hassel falling to them in the second round and the Mariners somehow being able to convince them not to go to Vanderbilt, um, which, I mean, best college baseball program in the country or at least right there with Oregon State and North Carolina. So tough ass to stop them from going to Vanderbilt, especially if they're not first-round picks. But if you can do it, I think that's best-case scenario because 
honestly, both of their games, I see a lot of similarities to Jared Kelnick, um, minus some power basically for both. So, um, those are a few guys that I like. Um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, those are the most likely options, uh, though would be, uh, would be uh, Cole Henry or uh, Clayton Beater in the second round. And then I would not be upset at all if they spent their third-round pick on Anthony Servideo. So those are some guys that I'm looking at. Cool. Cool. Well, good stuff. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Um, We're starting to run up here on an hour. So I think it's a good time for us to hop out, unless uh, you have anything else to add, Colby? Uh, one thing, uh, Jerry Depoto, if you're listening or if you're Jerry Depoto's kid or his receptionist or his dry cleaner, uh, mm-hmm. however you can convey the message to him, uh, I would say this. Uh, if Max Meyer is on the board at number six, you have to take him. Please take Max Meyer. The guy would be the number oh. one overall pick if he wasn't six foot and 175 pounds. He's that good. Best fastball in the class, best breaking ball in the class, above average changeup, throws a ton of strikes, really easy, repeatable delivery. I mean, we're talking high end. He's, you know, Tim Lincecum in his prime. Low end, he's Edwin Diaz out of the bullpen. So please mm-hmm. take Max Meyer. Please don't worry about his height. It's it's stupid. Pedro Martinez was just fine. Tim Lincecum was just fine. Roy Oswalt was just fine. Sonny Gray's just fine. Tim Hudson's just fine. Please, if Max Meyer is on the board at six and, you know, the top five are all gone, please, Jerry, please take Max Meyer. <laughs> well, you heard the man. Take Max Meyer there, Jerry. Uh, so that's going to do it for us. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, you can uh, give us a follow on, on Twitter at SotoMojoFS or visit the website, SotoMojo.com. Uh, we got a lot of draft content. Uh, ready to come out. Uh, Colby just uh, put out his um, 11 through 20 of his draft big board for the Mariners. Uh, We're going to be doing some articles focusing on some unsung heroes of the Mariners past. And we got a bunch of other fun stuff coming. So uh, check out the site. Give us a couple of leads. Well, there you go. Little little, little tease for those uh, that made it all this way. If you made it this way, you're it's probably like two people. Uh, hello to you. Uh, if you made it uh, all this way. Hi, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Dan. Uh, <laughs> and hi, uh, future me. Uh, <laughs> hi, Chris. Trying to give us me. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Chris. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So, uh, you can follow us on Twitter again at SotomojoFS or follow our personal accounts at CPAT11. That's Colby's and mine is at Dane Gonzalez. That's D A N E G N Z L Z. Um, that's, uh, that's it. I, th- I think, uh, you got anything else or was the Max Meyer thing it? Please draft Max Meyer. Yep. All right. There you go. He, he said it again. All right. Draft Max Meyer and that's going to do it for us. Bye, guys. Max Meyer for life.